This podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Visit darkmyths.org to discover more shows like this one. The darkness awaits. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the graveyard. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Adam. And my name's Matt. Now, pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable, because this is Graveyard Tales. (laughs) All right, Matt, how you doing tonight, brother? I'm all right. Man, hey, how many of y'all think that uh, Adam could replace Michael Buffer as the let's get ready to rumble guy? <laughs> I'm serious, man. Let's get ready to rumble. <laughs> I could probably do it. I know I know you could. These these, these intros, man, they just keep getting crazier and crazier. <laughs> I've know? always wanted to be the, the uh, Ringling Brothers guy. That- yeah. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, Ringling Brothers Barnum and Bailey Circus proudly presents to you that, Graveyard Tales. That's good. <laughs> I don't know. I've always wanted to be that guy. It may be the top hat that you're wearing that, that's that making, it's really selling it. That and the bow tie really helps, but you know. We go all out. Yeah, I mean you know. y'all don't see us, but we wanna, you know, we wanna dress up and feel fancy when yeah. we do this. So um, and and we're not gonna live cast this. Uh, don't even ask. No. <laughs> we don't we don't wear pants. No, so. <laughs> I, I would hate to have to wear anything below the waist when we record. So we strictly are shirts and like dinner jackets and top hats. Nothing below the waist. But you know, it's comfort, man. That's comfort right. and style. That's right. <laughs> we're, we're so unprofessional. Oh, I'm dude. Uh, yeah. Well. I don't want to be professional if it means I got to wear pants, you know, <laughs> but speaking of professional, um, have you guys signed up for our giveaway yet? If you have not go over to graveyardpodcast.com, click that little giveaway thing and fill out the entry form. You're going to want what we got coming. Uh, we've got a whole bunch of stuff that's going in there and we're working on getting some other, other interesting and cool things put in the box. Right. Um, so go over there, sign up. We're going to draw probably June 1st or so. So you've got through May to get in there and get signed up, but don't screw around. Go ahead and do it now. Yeah. yeah. You, you got a, you got a couple weeks. Yeah. So get, um, in, get in on this. You, you want to, cause you know, uh, it's, it's going to be stuff that you're going to want. If you don't want it, like I said last time, I will keep it. Um, yeah, send it back. Yeah, I'll, <laughs> I'll wear the shirt. I'll, I'll put the stickers on things. You yeah, know. You're, you're going to want it. Yeah. Um, also, while you're on the interwebs, um, if you want, we are recording our new Patreon episode this week, and it's going to be a Q&A, questions from you guys that y'all want to know about. We're going to answer them. So if you want in on that, go over to Patreon, become a patron. You can get access to that. Um, Also, we wanted to mention that for our top patrons, we are going to do a monthly Google Hangout with everybody so that you can get in there. You can see our faces. um, You can ask us whatever you want. We can talk show topics. We can talk life um, We can just have a drink and, you know, talk about whatever. It doesn't matter. Yeah, we can... 
and we can just stare at one another. Yeah, you know, have a staring contest. <laughs> just an uh, hour long, hour long staring contest. <laughs> Whatever y'all want to do, we don't care. Um, it's just to kind of show our thanks to you guys, and you know, hang out with y'all. Um, on the hangout thing, we are super stoked to be hanging out with. All of the other podcasts in the Dark Myths Collective. Yeah. We just got into the Dark Myths Collective, and it is amazing. We love it. It is so cool. So I mean, we, we were we were really, really thrilled when uh, we were we were asked to be a part of this. Yeah. And, I mean, it, you know, it just, it happened real quick, and, man, we were excited, and we, we tried to get it out to everybody as, as quickly as we could. We're like, hey, this, this is a thing now. Yeah. So- well, you know, it it's one of those things that we in podcasting we grew up knowing the Dark Myth Collective right. and all the awesome shows that are part of that, and you know it's just cool to be part of it. So you should go over to darkmyth dot org and check them out. Check out all the other shows that are part of the Dark Myth Collective. Go give them a listen; they're all awesome. Um, go follow them on all social medias and. You won't be disappointed. That's right. So you can go, and while you're waiting for the next episode of Graveyard Tales to come out, you can find some really, really cool shows, some of which we've mentioned on here before, uh, many of which Adam and I have been listening to for quite some time, yep. you know, long before uh, we decided to do this ourselves. And a lot of these shows were the inspiration behind us getting behind the mic and doing it. So Right. So go check them out. For for reals, y'all. Yeah, for um, reals, though. Um, but before we get into tonight's episode, let's take a quick potty break and let's hear from the Kryptonaut Podcast and Twilight Histories. Welcome to the Kryptonaut Podcast, hosted by Mark Storrs, Chris Conicelli, Rob Morphy. Join us weekly as we explore everything from aliens, cryptozoology, the occult, ghosts, paranormal phenomenon, ufology, and unsolved mysteries, all while keeping a close eye on our reptilian overlords that dwell in the flat, hollow, robot-infested Earth. This is the Kryptonaut Podcast. We are available at kryptonotpodcast.com. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, iHeartRadio, and YouTube. Breathtaking landscapes. Mythical creatures. A people cast from the frozen rocks. Time travel to a world of adventure, ritual, and mystery. Time travel with the Twilight Histories podcast. It's said that when Alexander conquered East, the Buddha conquered West. Now the Greek world is finally, finally at peace. The trumpets rumble from the Acropolis while you debate the Dharma and the Agora. Do not dwell in the past. Do not dream of the future. Just be. Time travel with the Twilight Histories podcast. All right, Matt, we're back at it. So what are we talking about tonight? Okay, tonight we are going to talk about vampires. And we don't mean those f***ing Twilight vampires either. <laughs> no, we're not going to talk about those. No, 
I, vampires do not sparkle. I'm sorry. They don't sparkle. Sparkly freaking vampire. <laughs> anyway. See, now I've got this idea of like, you know, a vampire wearing like some like pink glitter leisure suit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. This is a 1970s vampire. Right. You know. And this this one just looks like he got misted with a garden hose and he walks out and he's like, hmm, blinging, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I, vampires have never really been my thing, but um, but it's pre- it's been pretty interesting looking into this stuff. Yeah. You know, I, I, I've learned a little, a lot of, you know, I'd already you know, heard or you you learn from Hollywood. Right. But it's uh it's pretty interesting stuff. It really is. You know. It really is. And uh and there's just I mean, there's just some kind of I don't know, people just are enamored with vampires. They really are. It it's kind of blown up over the past well Hell, it's blown up for a long time. It's, been, it, it's been blown up for years. I mean, you can go back through decades and, and there's there's something vampire. Right. When I was a kid, okay, it was the Lost Boys. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Remember the, the Lost Boys. The Lost Boys and the, you have to invite invite me in and all that mm-hmm. other I mean, that was that was the thing, you know, that that was that was the vampire thing. Yep. You know? Bef- before that, it was the Bram Stokers and Nosferatu. Yeah. Um, and then after that, it was the Anne Rice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was probably in high school when the yep. Anne Rice stuff got real popular. Anne Rice, Interview with the Vampire. Yeah. I mean, it, it's it's gone through a lot of iterations over yeah. the years, and it's fun watching it develop and watching each different writer or producer or whatever pull different things from the legends and the lore out and exaggerate one part yeah and kind of diminish another part to create their own vampire legend you know you know what one of my favorite vampire movies is and i'm, I, I'm scared to ask yeah it, well you know it's funny it's a funny one so it's a movie called uh love it first bite oh nice yeah do you ever see that yeah yep. <laughs> well there's there's one that it's way off the beaten path it's like one of those B movie things and it's called Blood Brothers. And yeah, I'm not familiar with that one. It's got Sid Haig in it. Okay. And you know Sid Haig. Yeah. But my problem with that movie, I mean, besides it being a corny horror movie, which I like those, you know, I yeah. like but the vampires in that movie have rounded, stubby teeth. Like they look like marbles glued to their incisors. Well, how are you going to bite somebody's neck? That's with that? been my question this whole time. Plus, Sid <laughs> Haig had a terrible time trying to talk with those in. It was. You remember that uh, Weird Al Yankovic spoof of the Nirvana song? It's hard to bargle Noddle's house with all these marbles in my mouth. <laughs> that's all I could think the whole time. It's yeah. hard to bargle Noddle. Yeah, that's all yeah. I could think of. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> So before we derail, I'm going to have to go watch that now. Yeah, I've I've got it. I'll loan it to you. (laughs) If you need a crappy B movie, I probably got it. Uh, Yeah. Um, Oh, man. But before we derail this train too much, we've gotten way, way on a funny tangent now. You've uh, you've dove into the history of vampires here. Yeah. So um, the the history of vampires goes back about as far as we can really go. All, all the way to the Garden of Eden. 
Yeah, I said the Garden of Eden. So here we meet Lilith, who, uh, among other things, is considered to be the mother of all vampires. And depending on... I got to break in real quick. I'm sorry. Okay. You okay. said in the Garden of Eden, it's a... <laughs> It's a, here it comes, here it comes. I know what's coming. <laughs> I know what's coming. It's a musical night. So in a god of the vida, honey. <laughs> don't you know it? All right, go ahead. Yeah. There's there there's your, it's now become a running joke. We have to reference the Simpsons. And there's there's multiple Simpsons references for tonight. So just just hold on. But as I was saying, <laughs> uh, you know, um uh Depending on the mythology that you that you read, uh, Lilith was either Adam's first wife prior to Eve. Not me. Yeah, right. Not this Adam. Um, <laughs> the 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 Adam uh, created from created from the the earth that God used to create Adam. He created a, a woman out of the same dirt. So essentially, his equal. Um. And some some mythology will say that that Lilith was another beast that resided in the Garden of Eden. But ultimately, Adam cast her out because she would not submit to him. So because of her anger of being cast out of the garden, she roamed the earth, tormenting the dreams of the first humans. And feeding on newborns, so pretty scary. And and Adam and I were talking before uh, we started recording. Me, uh, yeah, this Adam, <laughs> not the original Adam, but the one sitting across from me. About about True Blood, which is you know another Hollywood reference, but they they used the Lilith uh, mm-hmm. idea of being the the mother of vampires and that she was their uh, creator, you know, however you want to look at it, um, you know, in their storyline. So so th- this is something that, you know, is it, widely considered in vampire lore, you know, that, that Lilith was the first one. Um, but many, many ancient cultures had a, a vampire being. Right. Um, that... Uh, that came out of their, you know, folklore, mythology, however you want to reference it. Uh, The Egyptians believed in a blood-sucking ghost-like vampire that attacked children. The Babylonians believed in the Ikimu, which was a restless spirit who stalked the earth looking for victims. Ancient Greece, Mesopotamia, China, all have legends of a creature that would hunt the living and feed on their blood. The Lamashtu of Mesopotamia had the head of a lion and the body of a donkey. Not something you really think of when you mention the word vampire. Right. Uh, the Strages of ancient Greece were simply described as bloodthirsty birds. Uh, the Monogonal. I probably butchered that, and I <laughs> practiced it. <laughs> the Monogonal. Of the Philippines, uh, would sever her torso from her legs and grow huge bat-like wings to chase her victims. Oh yeah, yeah. You remember that? You've seen. Yep. You've probably seen something like yep. that before. And uh, the Penangalan of Malaysia, 
We gave Matt the hard ones this week. I got all the hard words tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Last week, I think it's me. This week, it's you. She was a flying female head with bloody entrails hanging down from her neck. That's attractive. Yeah. These things sound like they're totally different, but the one thing they had in common was that they sustained themselves on drinking the blood of human beings. Sanguinarians. There you go. And the word vampire at at its core literally means bloodsucker. So anything like that would be considered a vampire. So, you know, a tick would be considered a vampire. Yeah. (laughs) If you want to get technical (laughs) about it, you know. Now now you got an image of a tick wearing a little top hat with a collar and a cape. (laughs) (laughs) But but seriously, yeah, that the word literally means bloodsucker. So any of these mythological creatures that lived on the blood of humans was considered to be a vampire. So um, I'm going to let Adam talk about how in the world do you become a vampire? Right. And in typical Graveyard Tales fashion, we have we have gone back to the list of how does one become a blank? And <laughs> yeah, how do you become a blank? Well, that's for another episode. Okay. We've got our blank and blank episode <laughs> that we'll do later. Um, but back, you know, centuries ago, there were many different things that were known to cause vampirism or cause you to come back as a vampire after you died. And a lot of it was a misunderstanding of med- medicine or the way the body works or communicable disease or whatever, which we will get into kind of toward the end of this episode. But we'll run through, and I'm going to try to do this quick because I've got two pages. I showed Matt this before we started, and this is probably the longest list of how you become a blank. Yeah, some that, of these are great. Yeah, these, I'm, I'm enjoying this. These are these are better than my werewolf belt. <laughs> some of them. <laughs> so... Now, there are three different subcategories. There's a before birth, during life, and after death. So before birth is the first ones we'll do, and you can hear my dog jingling. I apologize for that. Ellie, hush. Um, So the before birth things that you can do or shortly after birth is being born at certain times of the year, like new moon or on a holy day. Now, if you're born with a red call, with teeth, or with an extra nipple, and the red call is just... I was going to say, what is that? A red call is basically, it's part of what is around you when you're in the womb. Oh, okay. And if you come out and the call is red, then, well, blood, you're going to be a vampire later after you die. Um, Isn't that pretty much everybody? That's a lot of people, yeah. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of people born with a red call. Um, <laughs> okay. Being born with a red birthmark or being born with extra hair or born with two hearts. Now, I don't know how back in the day you would have found out if you had two hearts or not. Right, yeah. I don't know. But it's on the list, so I read it. Um, if you were conceived on a holy day, because sex during the holidays was a no-no. Um, if you were weaned too early, or if you were still being breastfed after weaning. Death without baptism. Born the seventh son of a seventh son. If a vampire stared at the mother while she was pregnant. So just stared at her. Just stared at her. That's all he had to do. Yeah. He gave her the old vampire eye there, yeah. you know. 
Quit eyeballing yeah. my wife. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that, that I don't know. Um, had a curse cast on you, or if the mother did not eat enough salt during the pregnancy. So, <laughs> ladies, eat your salt. Eat the salt. Eat the salt. I don't care what your doctor tells you about high sodium or cholesterol problems. Eat salt. You, you so don't, you, you don't want to give birth to a vampire. No. So eat the salt. Those those extra nacho chips. Take, right. them, take them down. Right. Get them pretzels. Yep. Ask them to put extra salt on the French fries. Whatever yeah. you got to do, yeah, consume right. that salt. Now, things done during life that will result in vampirism is eating the flesh of an animal that was accidentally killed or not properly slaughtered, being a witch or a sorcerer, eating sheep that was killed by a wolf, leading an immoral life, saying a mass while in a state of sin. Here's one of my favorites. Being a werewolf. Just being a werewolf. If you're a werewolf, <laughs> the simple act of being a werewolf while you're alive will make you become a vampire after you die. So don't be a werewolf, guys. How many mythical beasts can I become at once? <laughs> well, there's, I'm going to put on this belt. <laughs> yeah, we need, yeah, we need to go back and figure out what you could be that would cause you to be a werewolf. Like, right. what could you be before or, you know, during pregnancy? If you yeah. were this during pregnancy, you'd become a werewolf. And then if you were a werewolf, you'd become a vampire. And if you were a vampire, then you would become a... I, it's an ongoing yeah. thing. Um, that I, it's like, <laughs> it's too much for my head right now. Um, having a vampire bite three times. So it, not just one bite. It's apparently three, according to this list. Now that I've, I've heard that before. That's been a Hollywood thing. Mm -hmm. That the third bite. The third bite does it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know what? I think that's in Love at First Bite. Is it? I think it is. Well. I, I'd have to go back and look. It's been a long time. They must have read the same list I'm yeah. reading. Yeah. Um, another one that you can do during life is stealing the ropes used to bury a corpse. So don't do that either. Yeah, get your own rope. Yep. And if you need a rope to, you know, tie your ship up, don't use a corpse rope. Yep. Um, now, the things you can do, I guess, after death. I I don't know how you can do anything after death yeah. to become a vampire if you're not already a vampire to be doing stuff while you're dead. Right. I don't know. It, it doesn't make sense to me, but we're reading this we're list. We're going with it. Yep. So here we go. Uh, being killed by a vampire. Wind from the Russian steppe blowing on the corpse. So if wind from the Russian steppe comes across, blows on the corpse, you're a vampire. Having a shadow fall on the corpse. Death by violence or murder. Having a cat or other animal jump over the corpse. No burial or an improper burial. Murder that is unrevenged. So, Matt, if I die, avenge me. Yeah. Because I don't want to become a vampire in this way. If you're murdered. If I'm murdered, right. Yeah. If you just drop dead, then I'm out. You gotta. You got, still got to figure out how to avenge me. <laughs> figure out some avenging to if, do. If you, if you choke on an apple... Then I'm gonna go chop down an apple tree. There you go. That works for me. That works. For I gotta me. keep you from becoming a vampire, man. If I if I have a heart attack, go hit up all those fast food joints that I've, been, that I've stopped at on the way home when we're gonna record. I'm gonna stop a Big Mac in the parking lot. Avenge me. Uh, having a candle pass over the corpse. Having one's brother sleepwalk. That's my favorite. So. And if you're listening, brother of Adam, please don't sleepwalk. Don't sleepwalk. <laughs> don't sleepwalk after I die. Hey, my sister 
my sister was real bad about sleepwalking. Just brothers. It's okay. I'm Just I'm, I'm in the clear. Yep, you're fine. <laughs> um, death by drowning or plague. Now, if you're buried face up, you could become a vampire in some parts of Romania. Not everywhere, but just in some parts of Romania, this lore is there. And that's the end of our list, everybody. So don't be buried face up. If you die or if you're murdered, get avenged. That's right. Avenge me. (laughs) And don't bury me face up. Right. Please don't. So, Matt. Now that we've gone through the Man, silliness I'm of the list. You. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I know this, the, we're having a lot of fun with this tonight because, you know, it's just some of this stuff is just, it's way out there. Yeah. And, but it's, it's fun. And like we said, you know, Hollywood, you know, has helped, but even before that, you know, the, the, the books and the, and the stories and, and everything, they, they, they just lend itself to being so over the top that it makes it makes it fun, and I think that's part of the allure right. of of the vampire idea and and why it it continues to be popular today. Right. But we're gonna we're gonna talk about and and, and everybody's heard of this guy, um, Vlad the Impaler, or Vlad Tepes, mm-hmm. uh, Vlad the Third. Vlad Dracula. Vlad Dracula. And and you know, like I said, Vlad the Impaler were were all names for this uh, 15th century ruler in a region that's generally considered to be Transylvania or what is modern day Romania. Um, old Vlad, he he gets the credit for for being not just the inspiration for Dracula, but Many people would consider him to be the original Dracula vampire. Right. Um, and they'd be wrong. <laughs> that they would. The the reason, doing this research, the, the reason that, that Vlad the Impaler uh, has that, uh, has been given that attribute of being, you know, the, the original Dracula. Uh, number one was because of his name. But the only reason his name is is attributed to a vampire is because of Bram Stoker. Right. You know, Bram Stoker used him as the inspiration for Count Dracula. Right. And the Dracula, doesn't it mean like dragon? Dragon. Or from, yeah, yeah. And and actually his dad was Dracul. Dracul. So he right. was son of the dragon. Right, right, right. Um, and and that's, that's what the name means. Man, that's a cool name. Um. But the thing about old Vlad is he did impale people and he did put them on display, Mm -hmm. but he had a reason for that. It was, it was his preferred form of punishment. Um, But by doing this, he was making an example that this is what's going to happen. You know, if you, if you violate my law and it was also a warning to the invading Ottomans that we're not going to take no crap right. and we'll, we'll ram a spike up through you and put you out here with the rest of these guys. Um, you know, so he, he wasn't this, this bloodthirsty tyrant, you know, that a, a lot of, uh, uh, literature will make him out to be. And the people that he ruled 
considered him more of a hero. Right. You know, so, you know, Romanian history looks at him as more of a, of a protector and, you know, 15th century, you know, it sounds extreme, but there was a lot of stuff that was, that was really extreme at the time. But again, it was done, you know, as a way to show, you know, this is what could happen to you if you want to come and, mm-hmm. and, 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 and violate us. Right. You, you want to come invade us, you know, this is what's going to happen. I mean, you got to think, you know, if I'm, if I'm a, a run of the mill soldier in, you know, the Ottoman army and I come marching up to a castle that's surrounded by, you know, hundreds of people with stakes rammed up through them, you know, yep. sitting out there, you know, outside the castle, I'm going to think, Hey, this dude's bad. Right. You know, what, what's he going to do to me if, if we're not successful? <laughs> right. And I, I actually watched a documentary one time on Vlad and it was exactly like you just described. There was, I guess a little sect of his um, community there that, you know, wanted to overtake his rule, didn't like him. So he took them and he impaled them and put them out in front of his gates. And when an invading army landed and they were rushing the castle, they ran into this basically forest of people impaled through the bunghole up on these sticks. And they went, nope. And they turned around, got in their ships, and left. So you're absolutely right. I mean, it 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 worked as a deterrent. Yeah, for sure. sure. It. I mean, you know, if you if you pull up to my house and you saw somebody, yep. you know, with a stick rammed up their rear end, sticking yep. out their head, you'd go, "Yeah, I'm going to go to the next one." Now I'd come in. It'll keep those door to door salesmen at bay. That's for true. sure. Well, Especially if I put a clipboard in his hand. Yeah, right. <laughs> a name tag on his shirt. With a sign that just says no solicitors. Right. <laughs> we now have a new idea for Adam's front yard. So so right, you know, roughly the same time, but, you know, about, I don't know, about 100 years later, there was another woman named Elizabeth Bathory. Now, now unlike Vlad, this lady was she was bad. I mean, yeah. she was bad and may have been a little bit crazy. Um, but uh, Countess Elizabeth Bathory uh, was a Hungarian noblewoman. The bloody countess, as she was named, was responsible for the death of at least 650 young women. And they know that it's about 650 because she kept a diary of everyone that she tortured and killed. Um but she did have her reasoning while she was torturing uh, one of these young ladies. She had blood splatter on her skin and she noticed that this tightened her skin. So if it works in one spot, it would probably work for my whole body. So logical, the countess would bathe in the blood of young virgins. And you think, how do you get that much blood to bathe in? She found a way. Mm-hmm. She created a, a device that she called the Iron Virgin, and it was mo- it was modeled after the Iron Maiden, which most of you most of you should know. It's that, that band, right? Yeah, it was a band. <laughs> <laughs> she would play this loud music, and <laughs> no, it was uh, the the band. Of course, got their name from this. It's it was a device, a torture device that. Um, 
looked essentially like a sarcophagus, mm-hmm. and, you know, and, and then you could close people up inside of it. Now, hers was a little bit different because it was molded in the shape of a, of a young woman and it had knives placed inside. So close up inside, it would pierce the flesh and begin to drain the blood out of these, these young women. And she would bathe in it. She would also eat part of these young women, not always after they were dead. Mm. You know, she would just sometimes take these women and bite chunks of their flesh. That was a bad woman. They, they, were, they were burned. They were tortured. And she kept all this in a diary. So once they finally said, okay, we got to do something about this. She, uh, because she was a noble woman. They, they didn't execute her. That, that saved her from that. But they imprisoned her in her own castle, walled her up in, inside of a room with nothing more than a small opening to pass food and water. Mm-hmm. No windows. And, and she stayed in that room for about three years until she died. So she is also uh, considered to be one of the earliest, quote unquote, vampires. Yep. Um, but because that, you know, she, she desired that blood and, and she ate the flesh, um, because she believed that it would give her the attributes of those young women. Right. And it was said that she was one of the most beautiful women in, in, in all of the region, you know? So I, I doubt very seriously it was because she was gnawing on this virgin's leg or mm-hmm. anything, but, but she was, and she wanted to stay that way. So Having talked about those folks and and the some of the the crazy things that they did, it, it leads us up to the idea of what we have come to know as a vampire. You know the the undead stalks at night, lives on the blood of of human beings. So. In that region, and a lot of these stories come from the Slavic, uh, you know, what are Slavic nations? You know, Romania, um, the the Czech Republic, uh, Yugoslavia, you know, those those areas there, uh, even Russia, um, Poland, Turkey. Those are the areas, the the Eastern European areas, where a lot of these um, more common vampire legends come from so what these villagers would experience is that they would have a loved one die and then stories would begin to be told about that loved one coming back from the grave to feast on his friends and family and so as these stories grew and they became more common Ways to prevent this from happening also became more common. So it, it, it you routinely you would see groups go into a, a cemetery digging up graves of a suspected vampire. One particular story was of uh, a shoemaker who had had died, a, you know, a strange death, but had been buried. And days after his death, the shoemaker's family began to report that he had come back and he was draining the blood uh, from his family. Now, they weren't dead. They were weakened. 
they were pale and sickly and just generally unwell. And so it was determined that the shoemaker was a vampire. So what they did is they went back and they dug him up and they beheaded him, drove stakes through his body to keep his body in place. Mm -hmm. And everything stopped. So uh, problem solved. So this is what we need to do for all of these suspected vampires. So these groups would go into the cemetery. They would, they would dig up these graves and they would do things like, you know, behead the corpse. Mm -hmm. They would cut off arms and limbs because if they didn't have arms and legs, uh, they couldn't get out. Right. They, they would have no way to, they Stuck. would, yeah, they would, uh, stake them through the coffin, mm -hmm. you know, use large stakes to drive through the body, through the coffin to the ground. Right. Um, they would, um, they would place uh, talisman in there that were supposed to counteract, uh, garlic, you know, was used. That's where the idea that garlic would, would mm -hmm. ward off vampires. Uh, and, and even burning, you know, and one of the things they would do is they would take the corpse of a suspected vampire, burn it, then take the ashes and mix them with water and then dump them in the river or something like that. Um, and that was supposed to eliminate the threat, you know, well, sure. I mean, if there's no body, you know, right. you know, what's going to happen. So. As these practices grew, so did the practice of vampire hunting. So you would have these these men who were typically uh, well-respected, sometimes wealthy, well-educated, that would travel from village to village in order to help rid them of their vampire problem. So the, the typical vampire hunter would, uh, would come to a village and he would... Uh, he would carry his his hunting bag, which was usually uh, filled with stakes, you know, made of hawthorn. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes they would have have garlic rope, you know, to tie up any vampires that they found wandering around. And if they had a relationship with the church or with a with a clergyman, they would sometimes be armed with holy water or holy oil. And and even crucifixes. I really so, want one of those bags for my collection. Yeah, you know, it'd be so cool to have a vampire hunter's bag in yeah. that in my cabinet of curiosities <laughs> yes. in there in the living room. <laughs> Would love to have that on that shelf. We could get all that stuff to put in it. Too. That's, know, that's true. That's we stuff. could. They didn't really have anything that you know. Well, we can get it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I always get the image of of Van Helsing. Right. So. Whenever I read Vampire Hunters, Hugh Jackman is in my head. Every time I'm sorry. Like that. They all look like Hugh Jackman. I'm sorry. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, but, you know, later on, uh, Vampire Hunters would even carry pistols. And, uh, you know, there were the Strigoi in particular were considered to be susceptible to bullets. Um, you know, not necessarily uh, silver. Mm -hmm. uh, that, that came along later. Um, but the the chains and things like that to help you know weight down uh, a body, you know, in, in inside a casket. But 
But these hunters were not just going there to dig up bodies. You know, they went at night. They were looking for somebody roaming around. Right. So um, there's a lot of stories about people that were just kind of weird and maybe uh, mentally ill. Or, or inebriated. Yeah, a drunk. Yeah. <laughs> and here comes Mr. Vampire Hunter. And if you're hanging around a cemetery, eh, you're a vampire. Yep. <laughs> here, here I come. Wrong you know. place, wrong time. Yeah. So, um, so uh, you know, these type practices just made the the vampire legends grow even stronger. So, so these vampire hunters would come and they would they would they would find people that were suspected, you know, sometimes wandering around. But there were often legitimate reasons why people would be acting this way or appear this way, but they would be mistaken for vampires. Right. And we've talked about this in past shows where medical conditions, physical maladies were misunderstood and people that were different, instead of being treated or researched, they were considered evil and in this region, they were considered to be possible vampires. Right. Um, there were there are tons of uh, modern explanations of of what could have caused someone to appear like a vampire or for a corpse to look like a vampire. Right. And uh, and Adam's got some information. We're going to talk about when the, when these guys would dig up these corpses what they would look like that would give them what they thought was evidence of, of a vampire activity. Right. So what I, what I dove into kind of turned mushroomed into this really big thing that I didn't think it would. So I've got a whole bunch of stuff. So we're going to just weed through this and try to get through all of this medical information as easily as possible. Now, one of the things that we now know is there is a thing called clinical vampirism. Now, it's rare, but it is a documented disorder that has a like a compulsion to drink blood. Um, it's also known as Reinfeld syndrome, and it's named after a character from the Bram Stoker's Dracula. Right, yeah. And it's um, people who will feed on blood, either human or animal. And they do so out of a believed biological need in order to maintain their health and vitality. Now, some doctors consider it a real disorder. Some do not. Um, you know, but there are a lot of studies being done on all of it. But it, it all the conclusions are thin. You know, they don't really have any information leading to, yep, clinical vampirism, Reinfeld syndrome is legitimate or not. Yeah. And, you know, we've, we've had other things come up where there was a psychosis associated right. with um, believing that you were something else, mm -hmm. you know, a werewolf right. or, or something of the lot. Yeah. Lycanthropy. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And that's pretty much this thing. Reinfeld's is almost exactly like that, just with vampires. Yeah. Um, a lot of sanguinarians, and that's just a fancy, another one of those $20 words for, you know, someone who drinks blood. They believe that 
you know, this is the way that they maintain health, that they will weaken and die if they don't drink blood. Now, some of them actually acknowledge that it may be psychosomatic, but without enough research, we won't really ever know. Um, there were some diseases, which I'll get into, that it was believed that maybe drinking blood could cure that. So, you know, thoughts that maybe that's where it came from. Mm -hmm. Um, But transfusions, we now know, are the way to go. That's the way to get the blood into you because it's processed differently. Now, you may think, okay, is it safe to drink blood? You know, well, you can drink it in small amounts, like from a busted lip or, you know, bloody nose that happens to run back, you can get some in you and it doesn't cause a problem. But drinking more than, say, a couple teaspoons full for most people will put you in the danger zone. And the reason is it's really high in iron and our bodies have a hard time getting rid of that excess iron. Um, There is a, a condition called hemochromatosis. And hemochromatosis may be genetic, but it's also triggered by ingesting too much iron. And you absorb so much iron that you it creates a toxicity in your own system. Yeah. According to Fight Club, you can uh, drink a pint of blood before you get sick. Well, <laughs> Fight Club, according to my research, is wrong. Um, maybe drink a pint of blood one time. Yeah. You know, but you don't want to do this for too long. Yeah. Um, because hemochromatosis can lead to life-threatening disorders, including heart disease, liver disease, and diabetes, because all of that excess iron is stored in your liver, heart, and pancreas. So it can lead to problems. Um, now, okay, what about drinking your own blood? Basically the exact same thing. Yeah. Um, it, no difference between your blood and someone else's blood, except if they have, a bloodborne pathogen. Yeah. If they have a bloodborne pathogen, then that's another risk that you take of drinking someone's blood. Okay, so animal blood. Is it okay to drink animal blood? Well, in small amounts, like in blood sausage or some of the different dishes that actually incorporate animal blood, it's fine because it's you know rich in a lot of nutrients and you know other minerals that will actually fortify your diet but you don't want to ingest too much because it leads back to the same thing hemochromatosis really bad thing now okay is drinking blood legal well consent is apparently the key to most modern day vampirisms you know, if you believe you're a modern day vampire, you've got to get consent. Otherwise, it is assault, guys. <laughs> just, yeah. just saying. Um, but depending on where you live, you can be criminally punished for ingesting human or animal blood. Now, Louisiana, for example, has a law on the books that prohibits ritualistic acts. So that would be drinking of blood. And that can lead lead you to a fine of $5,000 imprisonment up to five years or both so can you imagine sitting in prison and somebody goes what are you in for well i i drank human blood yeah. uh, 
Oh, okay. That, I'm going to go talk to this guy over here. That's some street cred, man. <laughs> they will yeah. leave you alone. Uh, so, yeah, maybe. I, but uh, it, it definitely make you think twice. Yeah. So if you ever go to prison, just say you're in it for yeah, drinking human blood. Yeah, I'm in it for blood. drinking human blood. Right. So let's get into looking at some of the medical conditions that Matt mentioned that could be mistaken for vampirism. Yeah, especially, you know, in the 15th, 16th century. Right. And I've got four of these that we'll get into, the four main ones. Yeah. Um, so now, these are going to be the things that, that people would have seen but didn't understand that would make them think, oh, yep, this guy's a vampire. Right. Right. So the first one we've got is anemia. Now, I'm going to read off some of the symptoms of anemia and you tell me if they don't sound like some of the lore revolving around vampires. So a loss of energy or easily fatigued. You could be fed on by a vampire, right? A rapid heartbeat, shortness of breath, headache, difficulty concentrating, dizziness, pale skin, leg cramps, insomnia, a hunger for strange substances such as paper, ice, and dirt. It's a condition called pica, mm-hmm. where you want to eat weird stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, upward curvature of the nails. Soreness of the mouth with cracks at the corners. A tingling pins and needles sensation in the hands and feet. Lost sense of touch. A wobbly gait and difficulty walking. Clumsiness and sniff, sniffness. Stiffness in the <laughs> arms and legs. Dementia, a blue-black line at the gums, referred to as a lead line, abdominal pain, vomiting, and jaundice, so a yellowing of the skin and eyes. Now, it's a disease of the blood in which the red cell count goes extremely low, and these symptoms are all indications of inadequate oxygen supply. And, you know, to a society that's already kind of gripped with fear of vampires, Mm -hmm then these are sure signs that that person was victim of a vampire having their blood drawn every night. Yeah. You know, so it just leads to, oh, Lord, this person's getting fed on. There must be a vampire in the village. You know, we've got to kill the vampire and possibly kill this person if they've been bitten more than three times. Yeah. So uh, the next one is catalepsy. Now, catalepsy is a dysfunction of the nervous system, and it causes the slowing down of the body's regulatory functions. So to the untrained eye, the person appears dead. Um, You know, you lose voluntary muscle control, and the body becomes rigid for sometimes days on end. Now, some of the symptoms of catalepsy include the extreme rigidity in body posture, deceased sensitivity or decreased sensitivity to pain. I said deceased because we're talking about vampires, but a decreased sensitivity to pain. Limbs stay in the same position when they're moved. Your body functions slow down, particularly breathing and decreased muscle control or complete loss of muscle. You know, it would look as though the person was dead and in a state of rigor mortis. And so prior to the 20th century, Catalepsy victims were often pronounced dead, and it's pretty likely that they were buried alive in this state before embalming was a a common practice. And once the person came back to, you know, out of this cataleptic fit, then 
they would try to dig themselves out of the grave. And sometimes if it was a shallow grave, they were able to dig themselves out. So then all of a sudden, Uncle John, who had catalepsy, just showed back up at your house covered in dirt. Yeah, because he wasn't dead. Right, And he's like, (laughs) what the heck, dude? Really? And then so automatically, well, he came back from the dead and we got to kill him because he's a vampire. Other times, you know, people would dig up the body if there were other issues and they would say, well, this, you know, our uncle just died. He must be the vampire. So they dig him up and there would be weird decomp that would have happened. It would have happened slower than they thought because he wasn't dead initially. Um, Or they would see scratch marks inside the coffin or the coffin broken and some of the dirt dug away and in your uncle's attempt to get out of the coffin, you know, before he actually died. So they would then go, well, yeah, he's, you know, he's coming back to life and clawing his way out of his coffin every night. Now, another condition is cutaneous porphyria. Now, cutaneous porphyria, it's a rare hereditary blood disease. And the symptoms are like, uncannily similar to what we consider vampirism. That's why I saved it for the end here is, you know, people with this disorder, they don't produce heme in their blood. And heme is the chemical compound which makes up the hemoglobin found in your blood. And so it makes them extremely sensitive to sunlight. And porphyria is was relatively unknown as a disease until probably the mid-20th century. It's now treatable. So, you know, anybody with porphyria can be treated and they don't have this issue. Now, to think of easy way to think of porphyria, porphyria is what the children in the movie The Others had. If you remember the movie yeah. The Others, that's yeah, what... I forgotten about right, that. That's what they had. That's why they couldn't get in the sunlight. Now, if they were exposed to sunlight and you had this cutaneous porphyria, it would cause sensitivity to the sun and sometimes even artificial light that would cause a burning pain on the skin. It would cause sudden painful skin redness and swelling. It would cause blisters on skin that was exposed to the sunlight, usually the hands, arms, and face. Your skin would become fragile and thin, and it would change color. The pigment in your skin would change color. It would cr- cause itching. Um, there would be excessive hair growth in areas affected. Well, everything but the hair growth sounds like one of my trips to Florida. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, you haven't seen your back lately. There yeah, has been some. Yeah, you know. yeah. <laughs> so uh, red or brown urine, you would become allergic to garlic. Sound familiar? Mm-hmm. Um, you would have tightened skin around your lips and gums, and it would make your incisors become a little more pronounced. Yeah. So it would look like you were growing fangs. And your body waste would take on this purple hue that would look a lot like undigested blood. Now, the effects of light sensitivity could be so severe that sufferers would lose their ears and noses. Now, this is a physical trait that is echoed by the looks of vampires like Nosferatu. 
Yeah. Or the Strigoi. Yeah. Which Nosferatu was based after a lot. So doesn't this cutaneous porphyria sound a lot like vampires? Yeah. And, you know, one thing we, we hadn't really touched on yet is what vampires looked like in, you know, the 14, 1500s. They, they weren't what we consider to be a vampire when you say the word now. Right, not Lestat. They, they were more like zombies. Mm-hmm. You know, they were undead corpses. Right. You know, so this it was a, a big, goofy, st- stupid, you know, essentially zombie. You know, this, this bloodthirsty creature that's just crawling around, you know, attacking whoever may be close by. Right. Not an, a, a well-dressed individual that is uh, seducing women and, you know, right. a socialite. L- l- luring them with, you know, wine and dinner and music only to, you know, bite them, you know, right. after, you know, for, you know, dessert. <laughs> right. Right. And yeah, I mean, it, it completely changed in the, you know, the 19th century when, the the vampire lore was adopted by writers and everything. It it changed it to the socialite vampire from yeah. the Strigoi type decomposing almost zombie esque creature. Now Matt talked about vampire hunters earlier and Vampire hunters, they used a list of things that when they dug up a corpse, if they saw these things, then they went, yep, this guy's a vampire and we need to take care of his corpse. Now, I found an article by cemetery historian David Pescod-Taylor and forensic biologist Mark Benek, and they, they did this for the Bazaar magazine the issue, the restless dead vampires and decomposition. So I'm going to just read this list. It's the most frequent signs of the undead that were reported by vampire hunters. One, the body looks better fed than in life because the vampire is feeding on blood. Two, the skin is blood red in color rather than the paleness associated with death. Three, blood is seen flowing from the mouth and nose. Four, if injured or cut, the body bleeds as though alive. Five, the body's old skin has been replaced by new, moist, healthy-looking layer of skin. Six, hair and nails have continued to grow. New nails have replaced the old ones. Seven, the body moves when uncovered. And eight, the body groans and farts. Yeah. Now, let's talk a little (laughs) bit. farting vampire. Well, you know, everybody farts. I'm sorry. Right. <laughs> even vampires. Even vampires. Even the undead farts. Everybody farts. That's one of those books like everybody poops. I'm sorry. Yeah. It just happens, guys. Get over it. But dead people in caskets typically don't. Or do they? Or do they? So let's get into this a little bit and dissect it according to the historian and the forensic biologist. Now, Touch on the looking well-fed mm-hmm. one. Now, when you die, bacteria, especially the ones in your gut, start multiplying. 
they change the chemical structure and color of your blood. And it causes this marbling effect that's visible on the skin above. And lots of gas start fermenting in your gut, which makes your body bloat and look full. Right. So, so here, here's this regular-sized individual. Right. They dig him up because they think he's a vampire. And now he's got this nice little belly like he's just uh, come off of a Thanksgiving feast. Right. And so that would be taken as, well, he's feeding now. Right. You know, because he's bigger and more looks more well-fed than when he was alive. That's right. So he's got to be eating, right? Sure, yeah. No, it's the gut bacteria that is causing gas buildup. Yeah, because there's, there, you know, there's bacteria in your body that's that's good. It's supposed to be there. Right. And you have other bacteria that keep it at bay from taking over. And and just life in general right, uh, helps keep that at, at a level that it's supposed to be. In the absence of, of food then the bacteria continues to live and begins to feed on you. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's that's decomposition. Mm-hmm. That's what we know now. That's what they didn't really know, you know, way back then. Right. Um, but, yeah, like Adam was talking about, these bacteria produce gas. Mm-hmm. And you bloat. Right. You blow up. Right. So, now let's touch on the body being blood red and new skin growing. Now, as the blood continues to break down, the reddish color of the veins spreads to tiny capillaries, giving the corpse this ruddy, blood-soaked appearance, except where it's been under pressure. Now, frequently, this turns to brown and then finally this alarming black color. Well, as the body decays, the outer layer of skin and the lower level gets separated by fluids, and this is what's called putrefaction. The top layer lifts, and sometimes large blisters will form, and large sections of it will fall away. Now, this reveals a reddish, healthy-looking, new, in quotes, skin beneath. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you get this look of new skin. Well, it's just the skin below that has yet to decompose. Now, contrary to popular belief... Hair and nails of a corpse do not continue to grow. The skin shrinks, and then the tiny erector muscles cause hairs to stand on end so they look longer. Right. If they're not laying down flat, when the skin shrinks and tightens, it pulls those erector muscles, causing like the hair on your arms. That's what causes Mm -hmm. the hair on your arms to stand up when you get cold. So this same thing happens when the skin starts shrinking. Now, The skin will draw back from the nails and the fingers will actually shrink. So this makes it look like the nails have continued to grow, but it's really just the pulling away of the skin. Now the gums will dry out and actually draw back from the front teeth. So that makes it look like you're starting to grow fangs because your incisors, your canines are long anyway. And as the gums recede, they look like they're getting bigger. Now, two to three weeks after death, the gases produced as the body decays build up so much that they start to force their way out. When they're expelled through the voice box, they will produce a groaning noise. Now, when they go through the butthole, it can sound like the corpse is farting. So, you've got a groaning, farting corpse. Yeah. And it's all due to natural decomp. And gases that we talked about earlier mm-hmm. being released, 
but back in those days, they didn't understand this. So that was actually moving. You yeah. know, that was the, the body groaning as yeah. if it was still alive. So if you're, if you're a vampire hunter and you unearth a corpse and you drive a stake right down through the center of its chest, mm-hmm. you're going to force this gas up through the vocal cords. Right. And you're going to get an audible groan or at least a sound that to a vampire hunter of the time, that's confirmation. Right. I, I have, I have killed the vampire. For sure. Yep. You know, he was, he was here. He was only asleep. Yep. And he groaned when I staked him. As he was actually dying. Yeah. Yep. Um, now, rigor mortis, it stiffens the corpse shortly after death. This wears off after a few days. And as it wears off, the body will start to make small movements as the limbs grow soft again. So if you've got, you know, if you dig up a body a, a day or two after it's been buried with rigor mortis and you're watching it as the muscles are softening back up, you may see the arm twitch or you may see the arm move entirely. And there's a lot of morticians who talk about this. You know, on the slab at the mortuary, an arm will just twitch and fall off the table. There's stories that young morticians have told before they've learned all this where a body freaking sits up on them because the ab muscles contract and the body will actually sit up. Now, can you imagine just for a second? Imagine you're a mortician. And you're sitting there, and the dude on the left table, his arm flips and falls off. And the dude on the right table sits up on you. Mm-hmm. I'm leaving. Yeah. I don't care how much I like this job. I'm leaving. Yeah. Sorry. And, and you know, because of these things, um, there was a, a practice of sitting up with the dead that, you know, went well into, you know, the 19th to 20th century, mm-hmm. you know, uh, funeral homes were not really a thing, you know, s- wakes and funerals were held in the person's home. Right. So you've got a, a body laying there and somebody's job was to sit up, mm-hmm. make, make sure they're really dead, you know, make sure they're not going to do it. And if you ever want to read something that's, that's kind of humorous, you can go and, and find some of these stories of people that have experienced Exactly right. this, you right. know, sitting up, there's a dude in the coffin and he just says, Bloop, and he pops up. Yeah. Then, you know, I'm with Adam. Boy, I'd be out yep. even, even knowing that that's a possibility. Oh, yeah. You know, and then it happening. Uh, I'm it, done. I'm it, out. It would be like those cartoons, you know, that <laughs> thing that all you'd yeah. see is this little puff of smoke and Adam would be gone. Yeah. I'd be uh, looking in no, from the other yeah. room going, is he still moving out? I'm not going in there yet. <laughs> so imagine if he sits up and it pushes some air out through his chest and he groans too. Oh, yeah. like, oh I'm, I'm sits done. up and goes, uh, <laughs> nope. Sorry. Sorry. I'm out. I used to want to be a mortician, believe it or not. Um, and I, I started looking into some of that stuff. Nah, nah, nah. nah. You know, I you, you like you said, even knowing that that's a possibility. Yeah, you're there at night. 
you're doing a, you know, doing your process on this body. And a farting corpse is bad enough. (laughs) Just having that happen is bad enough because that it's not something you automatically expect. But a groaning corpse or a moving one. I, you would be adding another body to that burial because yeah. I'd have a heart attack. Because this is how my logic works. If uh, if I know it's a possibility and I'm sitting there mm-hmm. and this corpse sits up, mm-hmm. now I'm I'm worried that am I playing this off because I know that this can happen right. and I'm just going to ignore it and it it's really this dude coming back to life right. and he's going to come get me. See, so now I'm, I'm, I'm going to freak myself out. Yeah, exactly. Just thinking. Exactly. You're like, gonna, oh, no. Yeah. You're <laughs> like, oh, that's just what happens. And then he stands up. And then you're like, oh, that's just what, that's happens. what happens. That's that's rigor mortis. Yeah. You know, that's what. And then he comes over to you and he grabs you and you're like, oh, that's just what happens. You <laughs> yeah, know, this is nothing to worry don't about. Don't worry about it. You know, <laughs> he sinks his teeth into you. Is this supposed to happen? I don't remember reading this. Yeah, this wasn't in the manual. Let me go back. Th- Can you hold on a minute? Let me just go see if this is. Yeah, I, I'm with you. It, it's <laughs> it, it. All of that together is why Adam didn't become a mortician. Yeah. And so we, we've talked about a lot of these conditions that um, that could cause somebody to to give the appearance of, of being a vampire. Uh, one that we hadn't touched on yet uh, is tuberculosis. And tuberculosis, the the problems that it caused really flow with exactly what people were seeing uh, in life to have the idea that this person, when they died, was going to become a vampire. Um, You know, tuberculosis, it's a lung disease, you know, also called consumption was the early term for tuberculosis, but essentially it it destroys your lung tissue. Um, a lot of people with tuberculosis will become anemic. And we've talked about that, you know, pale, uh, weak, have a lot of, have a lot of trouble breathing. There's a, there's a cough that's associated with it because of the, the breakdown of lung tissue. Uh, many people would, would cough up blood and, Coughing up blood, it's not something where you just, you cough up a little bit of blood and you're like, oh, well, yeah, that's, yeah, how embarrassing. I've got, I've got blood and you wipe it off your mouth. It, it happens often enough that your teeth become stained. You know, you often will have dried blood in the corners of your mouth um, and, and you just give that appearance. Also, uh, bloodshot eyes or, or reddened eyes. Um, you know, what will occur because of uh, the way it affects the capillaries. Right. And so here's this person walking around. They're, they're weakened. They're pale. They're coughing, coughing up blood. And to the, uh, the unknown observer, you're seeing, Oh man, that's, that's got blood in his mouth. Right. They're not thinking it's coming from his lungs. Right. You know, they're thinking it's coming from his belly. Right. That he's, he's eating too much. And you got to think as well along the tubercul- tuberculosis lines. If, you know, let's say you contract tuberculosis, well, you're living with, you know, eight, 10 of your family members. It's not 
like now where you have, you know, three, four, five in a household there, it was the whole family. And so tuberculosis is a communicable disease. And if you die from tuberculosis, chances are that one of your other family members contracted tuberculosis before you died. Right. After you die, they start exhibiting symptoms. Then they become anemic and they start getting pale and they start, you know, losing motor function. They start becoming weak. And then they die. And then another person contracts tuberculosis. Well, you're going to go, okay, this first person that died, they have had to come back from the grave and they're feeding on all the other family members. So then you would go and dig up the corpse of the first person and perform the rites. Sometimes it would work and validate the the fears of the family and the community. Other times, you know, it wouldn't and just everybody would keep dying and they would just keep blaming another person must not have gotten the first vampire kind of thing. Right, right, exactly. So all of these things perpetuated the the stories and the legends of the existence of, of vampires. But up until this point, they've been these, like we said, these these weird zombie-like creatures that are just coming back from the grave to, to feed on friends and family. Um, the, the ideas of how you became a vampire, the, the traits of a vampire, those stories were collected and embellished upon in the most famous work about vampires, you know, in history. And that's Bram Stoker's novel, Dracula. Mm -hmm. And he takes it a step further because Count Dracula is not a zombie. He's not some staggering, walking, undead. He's this well-dressed, dapper gentleman, you know, who is, is educated is suave and debonair and wealthy and is a vampire. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, he's, he's, he's luring people to him. He has these mystical powers. He, uh, you know, he, he, he's conscious. He, he knows what he wants. He knows what he needs to do. Yet he is still this undead creature that has to, to drink, human blood in order to survive. Um, so 1897, this novel comes out and it changes the idea of what a vampire is and what they look like and, and how they, how they act. And that changes going into the 20th century. People's image of what a vampire is. And, movies and more novels and newer updated stories come out and that idea of what we think of when you hear the word vampire now um it, it begins to grow and this romance that people have with you know Dracula or mm -hmm. you know the 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 vampire 
of the the more modern time uh, really begins to flourish and the popularity grows. And even if they are just stories from, you know, ancient legends, people are just drawn to them. And when uh, when we talk about, you know, Dracula um, and the book, you know, Bram Stoker, he utilized a lot of the the ideas that he learned, you know, from history, um, you know, the, the idea that they they stalked at night, you know, the idea that they uh, they had this this bloodthirst, um, but he, he took it a step further. And a lot of the things that we commonly believe when we talk about vampires, we we believe that because of this novel, uh, you know, the the fear of the, the crucifix, the, the fact that a vampire can't see their reflection in a mirror. Right. Um, all of those things came out of this novel. Um, the idea that um, that a vampire can't cross salt water. That was another one. And, you know, I, I researched a story um about an island off the coast of, of Greece, the, the island of Lesbos. Um, but they had found evidence of, of bodies being buried with, with stakes through one individual was, had a stake through his neck, his pelvis and both ankles. And he was sealed up inside a, a city wall that they were doing. They were excavating, you know, archeological dig and, and found him there. Uh, they found another one on the island that had stakes actually laid in the coffin with him. And through researching this and and going back it, all the way to churches in England, they found documentation about this island where the people were so terrified at this idea, they had begun to take any uh anyone that died that was suspected that they would come back as a vampire and they buried them on an Island just off the coast. And with the idea that they couldn't cross the salt water. So they would be like, well, if they come back, they're going to be stuck out on this Island. And, and this is actually more modern. I mean, um, Hector Williams was the, uh, the professor that researched this and, and did the study on the Island. And, and, he found the original one buried in 1988. You know, so there's a there's a lot of 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 history that's still being uncovered um, through archaeological digs and research where we understand more about the the lore of the vampire and, and how it it played into the culture and and what people were were understood or more or less what they didn't understand. Um and in the in the novel, uh, Count Dracula, he's going to England and, you know, he travels in a coffin that has filled with dirt from his homeland because he has to get on a ship and he can't travel over the salt water. So they they cover him with the dirt from his homeland to keep him safe. You know, so all of those kind of ideas, they they come from the novel. And and he just he just embellishes them. Um, Nosferatu, you know, the, the, the silent movie, um, you know, probably the first real famous, you know, work, definitely the first film, um, about a vampire. It takes elements of both of the idea of the Strigoi, the, the walking corpse, 
along with the idea of this this well-to-do gentleman, um, you know, that needs to lure people in to feed. Um, it actually took, well, actually straight up plagiarized uh, parts of Bram Stoker's novel, you know, to create that work. So all of this goes into what Hollywood now will portray as, you know, as a typical vampire. And, you know, it's it's gone even further. <laughs> you know, now they're super fast and super strong and super good looking and, mm-hmm. you know, super whatever. You know, right. they they hang out with fairies and, and werewolves and mm-hmm. all kinds of stuff. And, oh, yeah. And, and women just love them. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, we've touched on a whole lot of the movies and everything that are out there and the books and all that other stuff. But if we've missed your favorite movie, we'll apologize. There's just too many out there to, you know, to be able to get them all in. We'd have to dedicate a whole nother show just to naming yeah. those. Um, but let us know, you know, if you're in the Facebook group or anything like that, hit us up. Let us know what your favorite vampire movie is or your favorite vampire book. Do not say Twilight. Yeah, don't. If you say Twilight, I'm not responsible for what I respond with. <laughs> He'll throat punch you. Yeah, <laughs> right. So, but, you know, we uh, we enjoyed looking up all of this we uncovered some things we didn't know um kind of reinforced some things we did and it was it was just a yeah. fun yeah yeah that's right yeah we wanted to have fun with this yeah so you know it it's one of those things that matt and i pretty much we don't normally tell you what we think you know we we leave it up to y'all to to kind of figure it out but i know matt and i on this one you know most of what we found lead us to believe it was all legend and lore mm-hmm. um, and great stories and all that. Um, we didn't find anything like we would normally find on other episodes that could lead some credence to, you know, the, yeah. the fact that it was legit. Um, most of it was just misinterpretation of fact. Yeah. But I don't think, I don't think anything else that we've, we've talked about up to this point um, in past episodes carries the, just that. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know the word, the, the, the weight that vampires do as far as the people just being enamored with it. Right. You know, the, the romance surrounding it, you know, it's obvious that, there's so little, little information out there that would make anyone go, yeah, vampires are legit. This is exactly how they are. There's so much out there that says this is exactly folklore and legend. And and they've changed so much that, you know, the ideas of what they are and how they operate, what they do, it's it's changed with with fiction, mm-hmm. you know, you know, a fictional work says this, and now that's what everybody believes vampires are. Right. You know, they, they turn into bats and they, you know, they stay out of the sun and all this stuff. And all of that, you know, was born in fiction, but nothing, nothing else I can think of that we have researched just has a grip on 
you know, pop culture. Right. And, and that, that vampires do. Right. And it's, it's interesting to see what the next iteration of, uh, the vampire movies is going to be or the vampire books. You know, we've, we've gone from like, like Adam said, we've gone from the, the, the Anne Rice vampires to, uh, true blood vampires to the twilight vampires. Yeah. I said it, mm. you know, but you know, what's, what's next, you know, there, there's, there's bound to be something because oh, sure. there's just that allure, you know, to vampire history. Right. Well, I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did, um, talking about it, having fun and all that stuff. Yeah. So be sure to check out our website at graveyardpodcast.com. Uh, there you'll find information about us, links to purchase our merchandise, uh, become a Patreon, and of course, you can listen to the show. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching Graveyard Tales, and join our Facebook group to interact with Adam and myself, share stories, and get inside info on our upcoming episodes. As always, please rate and review us on iTunes. Thank you so much for listening, and until next time, we'll save you a seat in the graveyard. See you soon. See you soon.